Welcome to the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast, where we provide you with your weekly diagnosis of everything fantasy football. Whether it's season-long leagues, dynasty, DFS, or even IDP, we got you covered all season long. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get to it. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And of course, as always, I'm your host, John June. And again, we are continuing this off-season edition of the podcast, uh, continuing to dive into a variety of topics. Uh, as the last two weeks, we covered quarterbacks and uh, wide receivers as it pertains to incoming draft prospects and how they fit in the in in the uh, in their respective rookie drafts and you know what the prospects could be going forward for these guys. Obviously, we don't have landing spots, but again, we're just working with the information that we have. Um, and today, you know, we would have been go. We would have continued that series, but had a little break. Uh, just some scheduling things, and you know, I'm I'm working with a lot of stuff right now. So figured taking a little break right now from um the draft prospects just for this week don't worry we'll get we'll jump right back into it next week uh getting to the running back position which i know y'all are just chomping at the bit for so don't worry we're gonna get that to y'all next week uh but today what we ended up doing uh had an interview with a buddy of mine david david gatiri um i call him the tight end whisperer we we talked honestly all things tight ends uh, we talked about uh, Travis Kelsey, how early you might have to take him in the in in your in your uh, upcoming redraft leagues. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but let's just say if you had the 101, David Gutierrez is making a solid case for you to walk out of your draft with Travis Kelsey as your as your first round pick. Now, look, if you want to hear what the reasoning behind all that, you're going to have to listen to the episode. But um, we talked about that. We talked about um, dynasty tight ends, who the dynasty tight end one is right now. Um, He talked about some of the guys that he's looking to as guys that could take that next step and break out from the tight end position. Also looking at guys that hey, maybe, you know, maybe we might have to watch out for these guys. Maybe they're not as, you know, productive. They're not going to be as productive as we might think. So there's a variety of things that we covered, and you're just going to have to check it out, honestly. Um, it, it is, it does it does run for a little bit, just just over an hour. Um, but I promise you it's it's all worth it there. Uh, David's a real sharp guy who, who does a ton of work, um, especially with Superflex leagues as well. So, uh, you know, you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, but like I said, don't worry. N- next week, we'll, we'll jump right back into the running backs. Uh, you know, then we'll have just tight ends to cover uh, from the dynasty perspective. And then uh, next thing you know, March 17th, around the corner, we'll have free agency. And, uh, you know, we'll be looking at uh, you know the dynasty landscape and and how these free agency moves, how they affect some of these some of these guys. Uh, you know that we could potentially uh, have to make a move on, like Aaron Jones or Curtis Samuel, Allen Robinson. Um, you know all these guys were you know that we might have to, uh, you know, d- decide whether we want to buy or sell them based on the landing spot. So uh, again, y'all. Uh, 
appreciate y'all for listening. Just make sure to follow to to follow David at Guru Fantasy World. Drop the O on there. Um, also check out his blog. He's working on a free encyclopedia, which he's going to get to at the end of the episode. So you're going to want to stick around for the whole thing and, and check all that out. But we'll catch you on next week doing the running back show. Um, or maybe we'll do some other stuff there, too. Haven't fully figured that part out yet, but you're definitely going to get running backs next week, y'all. So, again, appreciate y'all, and we are out. Well, next up is a man I have a ton of respect for, a ton of adoration for. Love the content on his Twitter account. His threads are A1. He's the creator of Guru Fantasy World, uh, the Fantasy World blog. Also does content for Fantasy and Frames. A man who believes a top tight end means more than you think, believes it so badly he's willing to have it carved on his tombstone. I refer to him as a tight end whisperer, but uh, best of all, he's someone I consider a friend, so I'm happy to, for him to join me here. Uh, David, David Gatiri. David, how are you doing today? Man? I'm doing excellent, man. What what an introduction. You make me feel you feel special, John. Yeah, man. Well, absolutely. Like we were talking before the show, you're somebody who – whose uh, account I've followed for a while, somebody whose content I've really appreciated, someone whose, uh, you know, just friendship I've appreciated as well. And so to have you on this show has been uh, is definitely an honor of mine. And, and obviously, like I, I let off with, uh, you know, the, the way you approach the tight end position and, and, you know, calling you the tight end whisperer, because you really are, man, if you look at your timeline and the advice that you give out um, and, and things of that nature. So, going to lead off with your uh, your first your you know I'm going to call it your baby here it's a, it's a, he's the pinned tweet right now currently on your profile uh Travis Kelsey is he your number one tight end entering 2021 and how early would you take him in upcoming uh redrafts in, in August and September man I love how I love <clears throat> how you're starting with that question we're going to start the show with a bang before we get to it I want to say again thank you for having me on Thank you more than anything for your friendship and your positive attitude on uh, the fantasy Twitter sphere. You, you've been great. Our interactions have been nothing but overwhelmingly positive. So thank you for that. And also, full disclaimer, I don't have any claims to being a tight end whisperer, <laughs> nor, <laughs> nor do I claim to have any sort of flawless process, right? I have had my misses as well as my hits, and we're going to talk, we're gonna talk yeah. about both of them tonight, right? We're not going to just come in on here and talk about everything I got right last year. We're going to talk about the misses too, because I think you can gain as much information and perspective looking at the misses as you can, and perhaps more than looking at the hits. So we're going to cover it all. We're going to cover the good, the bad, the ugly, and a whole lot in between. For starters, we're going to, I'm rubbing my palms together right here. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about Travis Kelsey and his value. First off, I mean, John, I hate to do this this early in the episode, but I'm going to ask ask you to just like <laughs> kick back, maybe pour yourself a drink, you know, just oh, yeah, just relax cool. because I have brought an entire case for Travis Kelsey with me tonight. And I, I have been <laughs> I have been working on this case since about midseason last year. And I was going to save it and wait and release it in, in a written form on Twitter, which I still will do eventually when it becomes closer to the 2021 redraft season. But I'm going to lay it out all free tonight. I'm going to go over the whole thing from top to bottom 
and I'm going to pitch Travis Kelsey as the 2021 redraft 101. And there's going to be a whole bunch of bullet points in there that will give you kind of an idea of how I feel about Travis Kelsey and tight ends in general. And then we'll use that kind of as a jumping point to uh, talk about his dynasty value as well as to kind of lead into some of the other tight end topics we're going to cover tonight. So I just want to say, guys, if you're a listener, you're listening to the intro right now um, and you can't stand my voice, which I don't blame you. I would say just fight through the pain because I think it's going to be a great episode tonight. Perhaps I would like to predict my best podcast yet. And uh, I think it'll be worth the listen if, if, if you can fight through having to listen to me uh, talk, talk about tight ends. Well, I will be, I will definitely vouch that you will be worth the listen if uh, the content and the knowledge that you're about to spit right now is uh, equivalent to what is on your timeline these days. But you know what? I'm, you know, I've, I've saw, I've seen your argument for why you should take Travis Kelsey as the one-on-one. I saw that tweet the day after. Uh, I think it was the day after the season or the day the season ended, if I'm not mistaken, right? Something like that. And you were making the case for Travis Kelsey. So please make it now for the people, for the listeners of the Fantasy Football Diagnostics podcast that aren't familiar with you, aren't familiar with your work. Let's let's get this ride going. It is. It's going to be a hell of a ride too, all right? So there's going to be a few different bullet points and a few different angles that I want to look at Travis Kelsey from. And I'm just going to start at uh, one of them and basically go through them. So the first thing I want to look at with Travis Kelsey, it's going to be his production. Bottom line, the conversation starts and ends with his production. That's the most important factor here, okay? After we talk about that, we're going to talk about his durability and his stability, which are pretty similar to, you could call them the same thing, but I'm going to talk about both of them separately and kind of uh, hit on both of those. That's going to lead us into scarcity and we're going to talk about tight end scarcity and how Travis Kelsey fits into the scheme of that and then that's going to lead us into comparing tight end scarcity versus running back scarcity and that's going to be a a major part of the pitch for Travis Kelsey this year and it's going to also kind of lead us into the 2021 class of running back options and I'm also going to kind of hit on all of the other tight ends and how they uh, play a role in in what um, factors they add to the case for Travis Kelsey as the 2021 redraft 101. So let me take a a sip of water real quick because I'm I'm, 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 going to have a mouth. There's going to be a few sips full of water tonight, I have a feeling. All right, so here we go. To start, Travis Kelsey has had 80-plus receptions in 1,000-plus yards in five straight seasons. To talk about how elite this production is, the only active players who have done that are Julio, Antonio Brown, and Travis Kelsey. 80-plus receptions, 1,000-plus yards, five straight seasons. He's put up 97-plus receptions and 1,200-plus yards in each of the last three. He had career highs across the board in 2020, 105 receptions, 1,416 yards and 11 touchdowns. He did all that without even playing in week 17. He sat out as the team rested their starters. He had 10-plus fantasy points in 14 out of 15 games, 20-plus fantasy points in 10 out of 15. He ranked as the seventh highest-scoring non-QB, non-QB, excuse me, 
with 312.8 PPR points. Let me say that again. Seventh highest non-scoring uh, scoring non-quarterback, 312 PPR points without even playing week 17. Alvin Kamara, Devontae Adams, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Tyree Kill, and Stephon Diggs were the only non-quarterbacks to outscore him in 2020. In both total points and points per game, Travis Kelsey was your RB4. And let me say that again because that's the framing I want you to look at Travis Kelsey going for it with this conversation. Mm -hmm. In both total points and points per game, Travis Kelsey was your RB4 last year, okay? So not only do I want you to view Travis Kelsey as the RB4 overall production-wise, I want you to view him as the most durable running back in the NFL. He hasn't missed a game to injury in seven straight seasons. Seven straight seasons. You're getting me in my high pitch voice. Can you tell I'm excited? Seven straight <laughs> years of perfect health plus RB4 overall production. That alone should put Travis Kelsey in the top three conversation for redraft formats in 2021. What pushes him to 101 for me? This is what we lead into tight end scarcity. And tight end scarcity. This is perhaps the most important bullet point here, okay? Because despite the fact that Travis Kelsey has top five running back production, top four in seven straight years of clean health, a lot of people want to push him down their fantasy boards outside of the top five. Why? Why do they want to do this? It's a quite simple answer. People believe that running backs are scarcer than tight ends. Why do they believe this? It's quite simple. Again, we start two running backs and only one tight end. So it's a natural assumption to make. We Because we start two running backs and only one tight end, running backs must be scarcer than tight ends, right? We start two of them and only one tight end. It must be more difficult to find two running backs than it is to find one tight end, right? Go ahead. Say right, John. I'm setting you up. Just say it. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, no, definitely, no, definitely. that is wrong, John. That is just not the reality of the situation. The numbers tell you that it is much more difficult finding one tight end than it is finding two running backs. Just look, even with a, a low threshold last year, look at players with 150 or more points in 2020. You had 29 quarterbacks, 30 running backs, 50 wide receivers with more than 150 points and seven tight ends, seven tight ends, even with a low bar, seven tight ends to 30 running backs. That's barely enough tight ends for half of a 12 team league to get one. That's more <laughs> than enough running backs for more than two per like they are outnumbering tight ends by more than two to one. And let's look at those seven tight ends this past year, Kelsey Waller, Robert Tunyon, Logan Thomas, TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, and Mike Gusecki. We'll include George Kittle. We'll call it eight tight ends. And that's me being generous and in including Mike Gusecki, who was far from reliable last year, okay? Outside of those eight tight ends, can you name me another tight end who you felt comfortable leaving in as your fantasy starter from start to finish this past season? Um... Taysom Hill for like <laughs> there you go. That's one. Other than that, if you didn't have that going for you, which I wouldn't count on that being available for you every year, maybe Noah Fant or Hunter Henry or Jonah. Probably, I'd say definitely not Jonah. He had a hot start. You can rely on him after that. 
Hunter Henry was not a yeah. You couldn't rely on him. You couldn't. You couldn't rely on even <laughs> Hunter Henry this year. You felt compelled to bench him midseason because he was not getting it done for multiple weeks on end. There simply are not enough good tight ends to go around for everybody. Simply are not enough. Running backs, on the other hand, much deeper, much more diverse of a pool for of talent for you to choose from. On top of the 30 running backs who I mentioned to you who scored over 150 points, you had multiple backups who didn't hit 150 but were clear streaming options uh, for, for multiple weeks. We're talking about Tony Pollard, Jeff Wilson, Wayne Gallman, Leonard Fournette, Hendo, Daryl Henderson, Jarek McKinnon, Damian Harris, Savan Ahmed, DJ Dots, even Kalen Balaj was like a clear streamer for a couple of weeks. I saw a stat from Jake Trowbridge the other day that 70 different R running backs had an RB1 weekly finish in 2020. 70! Can I play devil's advocate here? Go ahead. So, so what about the injury risk of the running back position that leading to all of these backup type players getting the startable? Um, Hence the need for depth. We're going to get to that. I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the pitch for Travis Kelsey is to not have is to not have running back. No, no, that is not the Travis Kelsey. That's not that. That's not an art. That should not be an argument used against your argument. And I'm going to cover all of that. So I'm just going to it's going to be a little bit later. All right. So I'm going to keep going a little bit with where we're at. All right. So pick to pick up where we left off. Mm-hmm. 70 different running backs had an RB1 weekly finish in 2070. Okay. You compare that with tight end. What did you have for streaming options once Logan Thomas and Robert Tunyon became rostered? Like you said, Taysom Hill. We had a couple weeks of Irv Smith without Kyle Rudolph um, when he was on the shelf. That was it. There was nothing else to pick up and stream. It's like, oh, this is clear. I can pick it up, plug and play. There was nothing else out there at tight end. Nope. Tight ends are much scarcer than running backs and not the other way around. And until that changes, that subtle yet vast difference in scarcity, it should be pushing Travis Kelsey up your draft board where others are mistakenly pushing him down it. And before we get to the running backs, which I'm going to get to, I want to talk a little bit more about the tight end landscape. You look at what you were dealing with in 2020. Travis Kelsey was your tight end one at 20.9 points per game. Darren Waller was your tight end two at 17.4 points per game. George Kittle, tight end three, 15.6 points per game. After that, it's about a 10-point-per-game drop from Travis Kelsey to Mark Andrews at tight end four, 12.2 points per game. To put that into perspective, that's a 10-point advantage over nine of your 11 opponents in a 12-team league. A 10-point-per-game advantage from one of your starting slots. That is unbelievable. And to keep looking at that second tier of uh, times, which isn't really a second tier, it's just basically the big three and then everybody else. Andrews, tight end four, 12.2. You had Robert Tunyon, Logan Thomas, tight end five at 11 points per game. Hawkinson, 10.9 points per game at tight end seven. And then 15 other tight ends who averaged between 10.6 and 8.5 points per game. It's Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, and then just one giant just cluster cluster bomb. <laughs> I'll try and filter myself there. You know a word I would like to insert there. Even, even the best of the rest outside of the top three, they were essentially replacement level filler. Even Tanyan and Logan Thomas, who had great years at tight end five, just a two point per game difference between them 
in the tight end 18, Jimmy Graham. Two points per game. Difference between them and the tight end 22, Jared Cook, 2.5 points per game. That's the same difference between Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. Until someone in that middle tier elevates into that upper stratosphere, it's Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, and they're essentially the only tight ends that matter. Three tight ends. That's it. Three players you have to grab at tight end in your drafts. And if you miss on those three, best of luck finding the next big thing, all right? Now it's certainly, certainly possible. I don't rule out anything within the realm of possibility that Mm – Kyle Pitts or Noah Fant or Mark Andrews or Hawkinson or even someone else elevates into that upper stratosphere and away from the middle no man's land of replacement level production. But Kyle Pitts is a rookie. None of those other tight ends have quarterback situations that are exactly thrilling. And Andrews and TJ Hawkinson are discernibly slower at 467 and 47040 than the sub 460 mold we're looking for and like that difference making tight end. I do believe Kyle Pitts. Mm-hmm. And no offense, should elevate eventually. But I wouldn't bet on it happening in 2021. It's probably going to be the big three and then just a giant cluster of replacement level filler again. And if you bypass Travis Kelsey at 101, you are almost absolutely giving up George Kittle too, because he's almost absolutely gone before 212. You should assume he's going to be gone by the time I get 212. And there's a chance mm-hmm. this year. People get smart in that you could get sniped on Darren Waller before 212, especially someone is willing to take him early third round. They might get smart and say, okay, I'm going to take Waller with my second round pick at 210 and then grab my running back, whatever, whatever they're planning in the third round, because there's just a bigger tier. You don't wait for the third round if you want Mm -hmm. a quarterback Mm -hmm. or a running back. So you are possibly by bypassing Kelsey at one-on-one, you're possibly bypassing Kittle in Waller as well. And then you're right back in that no man's land of just shattered hopes and broken dreams of Mark Andrews, TJ, these guys who even when they play well, they're not offering a whole lot more than replacement level. And just because you have to bypass Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara at 101, that doesn't mean you should fret over locking in a 300 point potentially 325 point, 350 point score into your tight end slot. Because when it comes down to it, and this is what you're asking about, it's not about what you do with your round one pick. It's about what you do with every other pick, every other waiver acquisition, every other trade after that. And to talk about it, we're going to talk about this leads into running back diversity. And I talk about Travis Kelsey. There are no locks in football, but Travis Kelsey, he's the closest thing to it. He has finished as the tight end one mm-hmm. in five straight seasons. Five straight seasons, he's been the number one scoring tight end. He's the king. End of story. That is that. Compare that to running back. There's both yearly and weekly turnover at the position. Zero running backs have repeated as the RB1 in back-to-back seasons since Priest Holmes did it in 2002. And I'm not just talking about RB1 overall. There is widespread turnover at the position throughout. In 2020, six out of 12 RB1 finishers had an average draft position position outside of round one. Nick Chubb, round two. JT, round three. Kareem Hunt, round five. David Montgomery, round six. James Robinson and Mike Davis were undrafted. And that's just total points. You add an RB13 plus in total points. Swift, Gibson, Dobbins, Akers, Rojo, Melvin Gordon, even DJ McKissick, Mostert, Edmund Gaskin, and their weekly RB1 finishes, 
then the streamers, Pollard, Wilson, Gallman, Fournette, Henderson, McKinnon, Harris. I mean, Dallas, Bellas, you, you start to get the picture here. Like, you can find weekly RB1 mm-hmm, production mm-hmm. from running backs outside of round one. And a lot of people would like to attribute that to a strong 2020 rookie class of running backs. I'm here to tell you they weren't that special, mm-hmm. at least not in the regard historically. I believe they were talent-wise. But when you look at the stat sheet, this happens every year. It wasn't because of them that this happened. In 2019, mm-hmm. 7 out of 12 RB1s, RB1 finishers, ADP outside round one. 2018, 5 out of 12 had ADPs outside round one. 2017, 8 out of 12 RB1s, ADPs outside round one. 2016, 9 out of 12 RB1s, ADP outside round one. 2015, 11 out of 12 RB1 finishers with an ADP outside of round one. Passing on a running back at 101 <laughs> for Travis Kelsey is not going to kill you at running back. Nowhere close to it, actually, especially if you're accurate with your running back selections. Every other non-round one pick off waivers via trades. And when you do hit on those non-round one running backs, which you should be if you're doing your homework, pairing them with a 300-plus point, potentially 350-point score at tight end, it absolutely optimizes your starting lineup's full scoring potential. That's what the analytics crowd would call optimal, having a 350-point score at your tight end slot (laughs) and hitting on your non-round one running backs. To put a cherry on top of it all, it's the perfect year to get your running backs post round one. I this is a little bit early talking redraft. I count 18 running backs I legitimately feel comfortable with as my RB1 next year. Talk about McCaffrey, Kamara, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Saquon, JT. That's a big six. Nick Chubb, Cam Makers, DeAndre Swift, Antonio Gibson, James Robinson, J.K. Dobbins, Austin Eckler, Ezekiel Elliott, Aaron Jones, possibly very likely, Miles Sanders. Josh Jacobs, Dave Montgomery, that's 18 RB1s I'd feel comfortable with picking at 212. And I don't even feel like I need to pick the last few names because I'll be able to get one of the ones higher on the list. And if you want to include Joe Mixon, CH, Ander Najee, that's as much as 21 RB1s. There are only 22 picks between 101 and 212. There's only 22 picks after you pick at 101 before you pick again at 212. You consider the fact Devontae and Tyreek and Kittle, they're basically locks to go before 212. That's already three non-running backs. Then you factor in the other wide receivers who could potentially go around to Diggs, AGB, DK Jefferson, possibly D-Hop, possibly Darren Waller, possibly some of the quarterbacks, Mahomes, Kyler, Josh Allen, Lamar. You're pretty much guaranteed you're getting a top 15-ish running back at 212 in a good-looking guy who you can – feel comfortable with that has RB1 upside. And then on top of – oh, God, you can cut it. No, you know, it's a great yeah, no, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, at that point, just take I would just take two of those guys because I know how I feel about the running back position. It's one of those things I just can't – I have to have – I can't have enough of those guys, you know. So – and I would feel really – not crazy, but I would just feel really insecure about my running back position if I once passing on CMC, Alvin Kamara, all those guys, right? So that's, then just, that's fair. Just and that's absolutely, position. especially when you're talking about if some of these running backs fall, there's you could easily grab two of those guys who have RB1 upside. For me, the way I'm looking at it is that you take your running back at 212, and then you're going to probably be fo- – in super flexes, you're probably going to be forced into taking a quarterback with your third-round pick next year be- because you – 
you look at this yeah, upper so tier of quarterbacks, the there is like a clear upper tier of quarterbacks. And it's basically Mahomes, Kyler, Josh Allen, Dak, Lamar. I'm probably going to miss this off the top of my head. Justin Herbert, um, Jalen Hurts will be in there, Russell Wilson. And then you have like Aaron Rodgers, Tannehill, and maybe Tua, and I guess Tom Brady in redraft. After that, it's like, it's a clear drop off. So I want to come away with like a top eight stud Konami code quarterback in round three. And I think you're going to see that in most drafts across the board, that that's going to be kind of what happens. You're going to see as many as, as eight to 12 quarterbacks come off the board in mm-hmm. rounds three and four. And that's going to push running backs to four twelve, like Ronald Jones or AJ Dillon or one of the rookies. So I would, I would forego double tapping, um, especially when I mm-hmm. talk about what, mentioned before the historical yeah. turnover at the position i would forgo it's it feels like over investing to me um especially when you would have to give up that top tier quarterback to double tap on running back i would suggest going travis kelsey 101 a running back 212 your quarterback 301 and then you get another running back falls to 412 and then you hammer away at your wide receivers in in your fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks, which you're going to have guys like Chase Claypool, possibly T. Higgins in the yeah. fifth round. Like you're going to have absolute steals of values. That's when you want to be taking these wide receivers. I have no problem with those guys as my wide receiver one. So, so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was definitely referring to strictly one QB leagues, but two quarterback leagues definitely. Uh, would want to get one of those Konami, absolutely Konami I agree though uh, like single said. quarterback you would probably be double, double tapping the running backs 212 and 301 but for me it's it's the perfect tier it's a perfect storm of a uniquely deep top tier of running back options coupled with Travis Kelsey's dominant ascension to what he is and it's just an absolute stud league winning difference maker I will pick him at 101 and I will not hesitate. He's dominated for five straight seasons, 300-point score. I don't see any reason for that to change in 2021. No, man, I, I, you've, you've convinced me. I mean, you've pretty much convinced me back a while ago. I think back then I actually said, I was like, oh, no, I think I still got to go McCaffrey, but I would take him at, at the number at 103, 102 potentially. But it seems like you're saying – any spot, any time after one. It's uh, that's absolutely it. my opinion. I will be taking him with my first pick wherever he is available. There you go. Definitely, uh, <laughs> will be stealing that that strategy. Uh, but the next question I have for you is, you know, you did mention George Kittle, I guess, as your as your number two guy. Uh, so I was asking, how soon would it? How soon would it be to take a guy like you know? I like th- a, I think you George misheard Kittle me there, or maybe I misspoke because George Kittle is not my number two tight end. In... Oh no, yes, yeah, sorry. You you said you said that people might have Kittle as their number two and and Waller as yeah. their number three. But you I do, do think though you're gonna Waller see um, Kittle is gonna be the but, one who's um, gonna be a lock to go before two twelve. Waller's the only one you would have a chance getting at two twelve. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, granted, Travis Kelsey entering his uh, age 31 or age 32 season, well, he'll be 31 when the season starts, but he'll be 32 uh, sometime during the season. Darren Waller, slightly younger than him, I think at 28. So where are you at with 
these guys from a dynasty perspective? Who is your dynasty? Um, it's still uh, Travis Kelsey, just because kind of what I laid out. Just it's it's not just one or two seasons. He has been so historically dominant that I'm just I don't really care about the age if I feel like he can win me legitimately win me a championship over the next two years. So I, I do think in dynasty, the gap between Waller and Kelsey is a lot closer. Um, in redraft, I'd be willing to spend a first round pick on Darren Waller. Um, just like I said, I would take it before George Hill. I'm, I believe there are three tight ends worth taking in redraft formats. And it kind of goes back to the, that running back tier. I, I was talking about, like, if you're going to take a running back it, at 110 or whatever the back half of the first round there's almost no difference between that guy and anyone you could take through the second round so why fret about the difference between you know nick chubb and jk dobbins or nick chubb and you know zeke or whoever you're gonna get in round two like lock in the tight end because once you drop from that tight end three whether it's kittle or waller for you it is a ginormous, ginormous drop. So lock that in, then take your running back around too. That's where I'm at with Darren Waller. In Dynasty, I believe – I only play in Superflex League, so I should just – I won't really speak too much on 1QB. I think in Superflex Dynasty, you really are locked into taking quarterback round one just because they're going to go so fast and you don't want to be on the on the outside looking in. But absolutely, round two, mm-hmm. I'm taking the tight end with any one of those three in Dynasty. It would be Kelsey for me first, then Darren Waller, who, to me, the argument for Darren Waller over George Kittle, I don't feel like I should have to explain that to people. I want people to explain to me, why would you have George Kittle over Darren Waller, okay? Because there's only a one-year age difference. Darren Waller has the most productive fantasy season out of George Kittle and, and Darren Waller ever. It was this year he had, by far, it was like a whole point per game more than George Kittle's best year. He's missed zero games compared to like 10 for George Kittle over the past years. And going dating back to college, Kittle's had injury issues. So I just don't see any upside really in uh, taking George Kittle over Darren Waller. And to kind of talk about Darren Waller a little bit more, because I mentioned at the beginning, he will, that we're going to talk about some of my misses. He was a guy who I did miss on this past year, and I had him as my tight end three at the beginning of the offseason early, right where he belonged uh, going into the year behind Kelsey and Kittle, and he was a clear number three for me. Mm-hmm. But what happened? I got caught up in the Mark Andrews uh, hype train, focused a little bit too much on Mark Andrews' snap mm-hmm. counts, you know, and then also when Jalen Rager went on the injured reserve, I mm. used that as justification to, to put Waller below Zach Ertz as well because I just I thought there was so much uh, oh, just no. lack of competition in Philadelphia. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because I've learned a lot from that and because I, I've come a long way from that. And what I take away from mm-hmm. that is to put in stock what I wasn't focusing on and what I can see now is I wasn't focusing on how much of an athlete Darren Waller was and how much God-given talent and athleticism this guy is truly loaded with. For one, you look at his combine. uh, I'm going to pull it up real quick. He performed better than Mike Evans, equal to or better in every drill. 4.4640, 37-inch vertical, Mm 7.073 cone, 4.25 shuttle. All numbers equal to 
or better than Mike Evans. So we're talking about a Mike Evans wide receiver playing tight end. If if I had just had that framing going into last mm-hmm. year, I think I probably would have paid a lot more attention to that uh, than anything else. And I probably wouldn't have moved Waller down. So going forward, and, and we'll probably talk about this a little uh, bit more, uh, that's kind of why I'm so big on Noah Fant and why I've bumped him up above TJ Hawkinson in all of my rankings, just because that God-given talent and athleticism, it, it is oozing out of Noah Fant like it's oozing out of Darren Waller. And another takeaway I take away is uh, Zach Ertz. He wasn't loaded with athleticism. He was a four, four, seven, four running tight end. And you can see how, how well that aged for him. And then another takeaway for me is Mark Andrews. He's focusing so much mm-hmm. on snap counts. I don't think I ever even questioned what his route counts were. Like snap counts is noise looking back on it. I want to know how much room there was for Mark Andrews mm-hmm. to improve in the routes, mm-hmm. total routes run department. And I don't even think I ever was even asking that question. So mm-hmm. I think the miss on Darren Waller, uh, I'm not too upset I missed on him because uh, I've done a lot of reevaluation since then. Yeah, no, definitely. We've got to continue to learn from our process. Uh, you know, I actually did not move off Darren Waller. I, I said, oh, no, to you when you when you said that you moved him below Zach Ertz because Zach Ertz was uh, somebody that I had listed as a bust at the position. I had him as my tight end five or six, but I said, don't touch him. Just do not touch him, please. Um, but anyway – uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad that you brought up Noah Fant because I do want to ask you a, a question here. I always tell my listeners, we, you know, and, and, I, and my co-host Greg, you know, he follows, you know, kind of the same suit. You know, we always tell our listeners, it's either you take a tight end early or you take one late. I've always felt that way. If I'm in position to take a Travis Kelsey, you know, back what I thought was round two or round three, then I would take him. But, or, you know, or George Kittle, uh, you know, or if it made sense for Darren Waller. But if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm out of that range, I'm, you know, if those guys didn't make it to me. I'm just going to wait until later and take a guy, you know, you brought up Mike Kosecki, but he was somebody that I was snagging at the end of drafts last year. Cause I, I, I did really like his upside, but um, one of the things I, I want to know from you is let's, let's say you're in a draft, someone has picked up this podcast, they follow your content, they're in your league and they know, okay, uh, teams one through six are sitting there and they're like, all right, well, you know, they've taken Travis Kelsey. They've taken uh, Darren Waller. And then the guy. This is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. All right. Keep going. But this is uh, an absolute nightmare to start. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) you were picking at the 107 or some somewhere after that. What is your strategy now to approach this draft? Well, I'm absolutely doubling up on running backs with my first two picks. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Once the top three tight ends are gone, I've never been apt to to reach on a receiver just because you talk about the depth in the mid rounds and how much value. I have no problems pass. I had no Mm -hmm. problem passing on Michael Thomas in the first round last year. I will have no problem passing on Devontae Adams in the first or second round this upcoming year. So I will be absolutely double tapping running backs. For me, where I differ from you is you mentioned you don't really want to take that middle tier of tight ends, which I don't deny there's been plenty of misses and busts in, in your taking on additional risk. 
But for me, when you miss out on the top three tight ends, like you, you have, you have to bite the bullet at some point because I don't want to be in that middle tier of tight ends. Let's make it clear. But I'd way rather be there than in the late round tier of tight ends because the, you do get those guys, the Logan Thomas, maybe the Mike Kosicki who do emerge, but the odds of you actually being the one guy, you, you got, you got to have a lot of faith in your ability to, to, to pinpoint those guys to me. So if I'm going to do a tight end late strategy, I'm not just taking two tight ends. I'm taking three tight ends late because I want to, I don't want my eggs in any one of the, these guys mm-hmm. basket outside of the top three, because they're not reliable. And you talk about it across the board, almost every single tight end underperforms relative to expectations every year. Like there's one, one or two, we got Tanyan and Logan Thomas this year who overperformed mm-hmm. relative to expectations. Other than that, it's like a sad, just gloomy, depressing, awful place. Like I said, broken dreams and shattered hopes. Like you want to, if you're not going to get a top three tight end, you want to increase your chances of getting that one guy and you're not going to be, doing that by drafting only one or two guys i think you need to draft at least three tight ends if you go tight end late yeah no that's definitely a good approach uh you know one of the things we do try to do though with that tight end late strategy is like you talked about with those guys with those athletic profiles you know like the noah fans like the mike kaseki's you know you're betting on a guy that has really good athleticism really good upside and could just if you know if they end up taking a shareholder route of the routes, or they end up getting you know some kind of targets, they have that requisite athleticism to make something happen with the ball after the catch, or you know score a ridiculous fifty-yard touchdown like no fans done before. So uh, those are the guys we target. But I do understand what you're saying. You know you're going, you, you could miss out on these guys, but hopefully you get a guy off the waiver wire uh, similar to Robert Tunyon last year. You you mentioned him before. Um, you know, he finished as a top five tight end here, uh, had 11 touchdowns, I believe it was in 2020. Uh, is Robert Tunyon fool's gold? Or you know, that's, that's a good question. Gold? And, um, you talk about the athleticism and those are the guys who you want to bet on. And those were two of my hits last year, both Logan Thomas and Robert Tunyon. I, once I saw Robert Tunyon, uh, play well in green Bay, I endorse him. So I feel good. I'll take credit for those two. Uh, I missed on Darren Waller, but I hit on Robert Dunyan and Logan Thomas. And you talk about the athleticism. Both of these guys, 4-6-1 or faster. 4-6-1 for Logan Thomas, 4-5-8 for Robert Dunyan. That was at his pro day. Usually you talked about 0.05. So you put him at about 4.63. And another guy who's done a lot of work on tight ends, who I respect, is Andrew Cooper. And um, I believe his... Uh, Twitter username is the Coop Fiasco. I hope I'm not confusing him with a different Cooper, but I believe that's his Twitter name. He he through his work, he <laughs> showed that like the that. correlation yeah. Yeah. between top five uh, tight end seasons has to do with essentially three factors. Num- factor number one, they need to either have a hundred plus targets, double digit touchdowns or they need to be the number two receiving option in their offense. And Robert Tunyon, what propelled him to a top five finish this past year? It was the touchdowns. The only problem is it's very, 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 very difficult to project him getting 100 targets 
in this offense, or being the continuing to be the number two option. Mm-hmm. So I like Robert Tunyon if I can move him for like a younger tight end, uh, if I can use him plus a draft pick to go get me Noah Fant, who I believe is the next big thing. I'm absolutely looking to use to cash out on Tunyon and use him to, to get a, a better tight end. So I wouldn't say he's fool's gold because Aaron Rodgers could easily throw 45 touchdowns, 50 touchdowns again next year. I would just say you're that's about all you're betting on for mm-hmm. Robert Tunyon is mm-hmm. the touchdowns because that's that's what's holding his value together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was there was a stretch of the year where he was dealing with a high ankle sprain, so I think, you know, the, some of that contributed to maybe the dip in his 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 numbers in the middle of the year. But like you said, the touchdowns you're banking on, but you don't want to bet against Aaron Rodgers having the ability to throw 40, 45 touchdown passes. Uh, and if so, Robert Tunyon should be you know in, involved in that. Uh, you know, you did bring up Logan Thomas. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to him now here because uh, you told us not to sleep on him in 2020. Uh, and I remember that thread that you put out about Logan Thomas talking about his athleticism and, uh, you know, his experience having played quarterback and, and you know, the journey that he took. Um, but so who is the fantasy community potentially sleeping you know, on? You know, I don't as we really have a late guy I want to endorse this early just because, like I mentioned uh, with Andrew Cooper's research, a lot of it has to do with situation on a year by year basis. And we need to see who's got a path to the number two role. And we're not really going to see that until post uh, free agencies for, for these late uh, sleepers like the Logan Thomas Tynan. But when you're asking who are they sleeping on, I want to take this opportunity to talk about Noah Fant because I, I do believe Noah Fant is uh in a clear tier with Kyle Pitts outside of the top three. And he's the only one I have in that tier outside of the top three with Kyle Pitts, no offense and Kyle Pitts. And then it's a teardrop to TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, Dallas Garrett, and Mike Gesicki for me. And the reason I think everybody is sleeping on this guy. Well, for one is because he's so damn good. Like I, I talked about Andrew Cooper's research. I've, I've used a few different guys' research, and I've come around on Noah Fant since doing this. Part of the reason I'm so high is because I looked at Jax Falcone's anatomy of a top 16 dynasty tight end, and he does some great work on charting basically the current landscape and what kind of overlying factors they have in common, right? So I'm going to go through, uh, I used last year's because his thread for this year wasn't up in time when I was doing this research. All of the factors he goes through that you want to look for in a tight end. Number one, it's draft capital. Uh, he charted 16 uh, dynasty tight ends last year, the top 16 in ADP. Draft capital, five in round one, four in round two, four in round three, and then you didn't have more than one in any other round after that. So pretty much round three is... A, a pretty close cutoff for where you want your tight end to be drafted. Anything after that, it's it's a question mark. It's not necessarily writing them off, but it's a question mark. Um, so with Noah Fant, he obviously checks that. I'll, I'll get to which boxes he checks after. Draft capital is number one. Number two is 40 time. This, again, pretty important for tight end. You look at the 16 t- uh, tight ends he charted. You have the slowest time being a 4.75. So that's a pretty, pretty much the cutoff for what you want to see in a tight end. 
four, seven, five. If you look at the big three tight ends, which is obviously what we're kind of looking for, especially discussion, no fan or TJ Hawkinson, who's going to become the next big thing. They're all four, six, one or faster. Darren Waller, four, four, six, George Kittle, four, five, two. Travis Kelsey ran a four, six, one at his pro day, but this was post-surgery. He, he couldn't compete at the combine because of his surgery post-surgery at the pro day he ran a 40 and then he got sick and he couldn't compete in any other drill so i'm gonna assume the 461 is is a dash faster maybe i'm just biased there but hey i, I think there's clear evidence travis kelsey is 460 or, or faster and when you get beyond 40 we look at size right out of the 16 tight ends charted only two were six foot three or less so six four is good that's what we want six three or less, it's a bit of a question mark. He also lists spark score, which I feel is uh, personally a little bit redundant when you're all already looking at the size and uh, speed score and 40 times. So I didn't include that in my charts. It's just too, too much work to do, mm -hmm. to be honest. Then there's a couple more. He looks at college dominator, which you only had one below 17%. So 17% is kind of what you're hoping for uh, in terms of college dominator. You had seven out of 16 over 25. So that's, again, it's a positive if they have it over uh, 25%. Yards per reception, college, two under 12, three out of 16, 12 to 13, 11 out of 16, 14 or more. So you really would like to see 14 or more yards per reception in college. That kind of indicates either one, that they have the talent to create on their own out of nothing and or that they have a downfield role with a, a high average depth of target where they're being given chances and being schemed to, to gain yardage more efficiently. So that's, that's basically what you're looking for. You're looking for draft capital. You're looking for 40 speed. You're looking for uh, height. You're looking for, um, I also included vertical in mind because I think that's an important one as well. And then you're just looking at the college production dominator, um, I looked at breakout age um, just to see. It's obviously, like you heard with tight ends, it's not all that important. Travis, Kelsey, Waller, and Kittle all were 21.9, basically 22 plus. They had terrible breakout ages in college, um, so it's not necessary at all. But if you see it, it's a good thing. So for me, no offense, let's go through these boxes again. Height, 6'4", checks it. Weight, oh, I didn't talk, talk about the weight. Basically, everybody is uh, 255 is about the cutoff you want. There's not many successful uh, tight ends above 255. No offense, 249, he checks it. Draft capital, uh, 20th pick in the first round, he checks it. 40, 4.5, checks it. Vertical, 39.5, checks it. Dominator, 30.4, checks it. Breakout age, 19.8, he checks it. College yards perception, 16.5, he checks it. I added catch radius to mine because I noticed all three of the top tight ends had 79th percentile catch radius or bigger. He's 98th percentile. And then if you include NFL production, which I figured um, looking at the top three tight ends, they all had 10 points per game by their second year as a starter. You want to see it early. No fan, 10 points per game. This way. He checks 10 out of 10 boxes in this anatomical checklist. He's the only tight end in my entire top 30 tight ends rankings. Who checks 10 out of 10 boxes? I'll tell you, Kyle Pitts, it looks like he's going to check 10 out of 10 as well. He'll have the size, the draft gap, the 40, the vertical. His dominator was through the roof. He had all the production. He'll check 10 out of 10. It's Fant and Pitts. And then you compare that to TJ Hawkinson, who I'm seeing everybody take over Noah Fant. Hawkinson has the size. He has the weight. He has the draft gap. 
Four seven forty. That's at worst a at best a question mark. At worst, it's not good. He has a vertical thirty seven five. 24% dominator rating to Fance 30.4. 21.2 breakout age to Fance 19.8. 15.5 yards per reception in college to Fance 16.5. And then as a rookie, he had 6.7 points per game to Fance 6.9. So going into this past year, Fant was being ranked above TJ Hawkinson everywhere, and rightfully so. It was an absolute train wreck. Train wreck in Denver this past year. And Fant still only average one point per game less than TJ Hawkinson. He had a high ankle sprain midseason, which he played through. He had one game with Kendall Hinton at quarterback, where I don't know if they even completed a pass. He had a dud, a Z, a, or he caught one pass, I think, for like 60 yards or something. Denver as a whole, 3,600 passing yards, 21 touchdowns. Detroit Lions as a whole with Matt Stafford had – my mouse is being a little funky <laughs> I want to pull this up. They had over fourth, I believe it's 43. It's in the corner. If I could just click it. They had, there we go. I clicked it. They had 4,327 touchdowns. So about 700 more yards and six more touchdowns. And Fant still only averaged one point per game less. Now they're going from Stafford to Goff. You talk, everybody talks about all, all the, uh, opportunity Hawkinson has he had opportunity last year when he only produced one point uh more than no fan on a points per game basis they're gonna fill that Kenny Galladay hole whether it's this year or next year he's gonna get more competition added so I'm taking Noah fan he's in my tier right outside the top three and I think everybody if the, is sleeping on him all over the place and just spending way too much time focusing on the quarterback situation Well, my co-host, Greg Penman, will <laughs> strongly disagree with you there. Not everybody is sleeping on him. Noah Fant was Greg's breakout tight end for the 2020 season. Obviously, Noah Fant dealt with some injuries, uh, dealt with some uh, instability at the quarterback position, like you said, and just a, a bad offense in general. But Noah Fant, like you said, the athleticism is there. Uh, you know, this is he's he's a freak. He's a freak athletically. So I'm I'm with you. Ten out of ten boxes on on Jack on Jack Falcone's anatomy of a top sixteen dynasty tight end. Uh, that is music to my ears. There. Uh, so you know, somebody that he's somebody that you said we're potentially sleeping on as a community. But in 2020, you also told us to avoid uh, Ian Thomas. <laughs> Another Thomas, it was a, a theme. You, you were going after these Thomas guys last year, I guess. But you told us all to avoid Ian Thomas. In no, I don't think TJ Hawkinson is going to avoid it all. I just Hawkinson like Noah Fant more than him. For me, it's funny that Ian Thomas uh, – I also said fade Tyler Higby, so I'll take credit for that one as well. I put in a lot of, a lot of work into my anti-Tyler Higby thread, and uh, I, I put my neck mm -hmm. on the line for that one. So I wasn't, wasn't too upset to see him uh, fade <laughs> this year, I'll tell you that. But the thing about Ian Thomas, why why was I off of Ian Thomas last year? Four, seven, four. And I actually uh, four, seven, kind of four. triggered Ian Thomas a little bit because I, I was posting about him quite frequently, calling him not fast <laughs> and slow. Um, and he actually somehow caught wind of this on Twitter and retweeted me, challenging me to a race, which uh, I was not <laughs> expecting to say in the least, but... 
uh, I kind of backed into a corner a little bit and kind of <laughs> backpedaled on him because I, I was a little uh, too apologetic, apologetic, which is one, one thing I think I've uh, kind of given up on <laughs> since then. I'm I'm done apologizing for my takes, and that means uh, the next time I'm coming at a slow tight end, I'm coming at you hard. And that tight end who I'm coming at hard, it's Adam Troutman. I will not be making any apologies. I will not be making any apologies about my Adam Troutman no. slander this year, okay? <laughs> oh. oh, no. I love Adam Troutman. Tell me Go what ahead. you love about Adam Troutman. This. And I, I tell me it's anything more than the opportunity. Because I want to hear a non-opportunity base based on vacancy, tight end vacancy. Is there anything, anything other than that that gets you excited about him? Well, there's there the only thing that so here's what gets me excited about Adam Trotman. I uh, I don't I find it impossible. I mean, Jack Falcon I guess did did a really great job with this anatomy of a top sixteen dynasty tight end. So this is this is great and something I'll be using uh, adding to the tool belt going forward. But I usually just uh, just watch tight ends play. And Tr- Adam Troutman was somebody from Dayton. I remember throwing on the Senior Bowl. He was somebody that just, you know, even he coming from a small school in Dayton, for him to continue to uh, show out at a senior bowl practice with a bunch of other guys from bigger name schools and whatnot. Um, So I had him as a pre-draft, I think, my tight end two or tight end three from a rookie draft perspective, from a rookie perspective. And then he goes and gets drafted in the third round by the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and Sean Payton, who has done tremendous work with tight ends, just the tight end position, when you go back to even what he did with Jeremy Shockey with his emergence uh, or his resurgence with the Saints to Jimmy Graham to, uh, you know, even uh, j- getting something out of Jared Cook, uh, getting something out of Josh Hill every now and then, whatever it is. But I think I really did like Adam Troutman in that landing see that's fair and i think that's pretty representative of where most people are at and i don't disagree that sean payton has utilized talented and athletic tight ends like you named jimmy graham jeremy shockey jared cook who was also a four five running tight end these tight ends with athleticism and skill he has utilized and the problem is i really don't believe adam troutman has either of those things athleticism or skill the, the the reason I was out on Ian Thomas, we talk about lack of speed, pecking order, because he was behind uh, DJ Moore. People were not really considering McCaffrey as the second target, then Samuel and Robbie Anderson. So he was slow. He was going to be used as a blocker. He was going to be used in a low A dot role. Like you look at Ian Thomas's yards per reception in his first couple of years, it was 9.3 yards perception as a rookie on a 6.2 average depth of target, 8.5 yards perception in 2019 on 7.1 average depth of target. And then obviously he lived up to not producing efficiently last year, only 7.3 yards perception on 6.3 ADOT. Adam Troutman profiles exactly the same. He is not fast at all. He runs a 4.840. That is about... seconds, which might not seem huge in the grand scheme of things. In football, it is. It's all of the difference. It's outside of the the threshold. 4.75 is about as low as we want to go. Even you want to make an exception for that, he went to the small school, Dayton. Like 
he doesn't have anything going for him as a prospect like that made him great. I mean, he dominated at Dayton, obviously dominated at Dayton. He wouldn't have been drafted into the NFL if he didn't dominate at a small school. But again, lack of speed, that's number one. 4840, he's just not going to create a lot by himself. Again, you're going to see a low A dot. I think you're not going to see him used vertically. That holds up in his rookie season. He His average depth of target, four yards. To, to bring Ian Thomas's back up the past three years, 6.2, 7.1, 6.3, ADOT. Only four yards for Troutman as a rookie. He had 11.4 yards per reception, which is better than Ian Thomas has done at any point. But he also had that influence by a wide open 41-yard uh, corner route, which was like wide open. I wouldn't expect too many 41-yarders influencing his overall sample going forward. Take the other 14 receptions. 132, 130 yards. That's 9.2 yards per reception. Almost exactly in line with what Ian Thomas was as a rookie. So I would expect you're going to see him be below 10% on a yards per reception basis. So that means he needs volume. If he's not going to be producing efficiently in the yardage category and averaging over 10 yards per carry or 11 or 12, he needs volume. And just like Ian Thomas was stuck behind DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel. Adam Troutman is stuck behind Michael Thomas. Alvin Kamara is the number two receiver on this team. Emmanuel Sanders is definitely going to be the number three, in my opinion. And I'll even go out on what I don't think is a whole big limb here. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Traquan Smith is going to outproduce Adam Troutman next year, too. Best case, Adam Troutman is number four in the pecking order. We talked about it before. When you need a breakout tight end, you need to be the number two target, at least if you're going to be middle tier, like the number three. He's looking like the number four, potentially worse. You brought up one other name, which he profiles very similar to me as well, and that's Josh Hill. Do you remember the heartbreak when, when Jimmy Graham left and we all wanted to pencil in Josh Hill into in, <laughs> as the next breakout tight end in Sean Payton's offense? Sean Payton mm-hmm. will utilize the mm-hmm. tight end. He's got all the opportunity in the world. Problem is, Josh Hill wasn't good. He wasn't fast. He wasn't fast. He wasn't athletic, and he he didn't have anything about his profile that got you excited about him. <laughs> it's the same thing with Adam Troutman. Sure, he's got opportunity. He's he's not going to do anything with it in my book. So, and Josh Hill was a better athlete than Adam Troutman, by the way. He ran like a four seven four. So, Josh Hill was within the forty threshold. He he still disappointed the heck out of us. I want, I've seen Adam Troutman inside top 12s, inside top 15s. I do not have this guy inside my top 30 dynasty tight end rankings. I'm sorry. I want absolutely nothing to do with Adam Troutman. No, I mean, that's fair. I mean, the data, the data kind of, you know, all your points are valid there with, uh, you know, probability. Man. <laughs> We're playing a game of probability. And at the end of the day, all the points that you make are not in favor of Adam Troutman, and you know what? As we sit here, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you go through everything, and you're talking about the weapons and the pecking order, and I'm looking back at my notes that I had on Adam Troutman post draft, and one of the things I had in there mentioned Drew Brees, and we're not even getting that. We'd have no idea who the quarterback is for the New Orleans Saints. I mean, obviously, we'll find out come September, but 
that's a huge factor into why I would even be into an Adam. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I didn't even think about that in the impact of going from Breeze to Jameis. Because we talk about the low ADOT role. Who's more likely to target a check at down tight end in the flat? Jameis Winston or Drew Breeze? Like we saw OJ Howard didn't exactly excel with Jameis Winston. (laughs) um, And he didn't live up to the potential. He wasn't exactly going out of his way to target him. So again, I would expect winston to be taking more shots down the field to the wide receivers if he is checking down i would expect it to be to alvin Kamara, you know so that's another good point you bring up there as well yeah so this is interesting because you know this is a good uh spot to go to and we could kind of leave it here um you know i was gonna ask you about the second and third year guys (laughs) young guys that could potentially take this leap and obviously adam troutman not one of them (laughs) Uh, Noah Fant, definitely one of them. But is there anybody else? I mean, Harrison Bryant, he's somebody that had had some some opportunity last year. We obviously know the the Browns like to run a lot of multiple tight end sets. Uh, There's talks of Odell and potentially potentially even Jarvis Landry uh, not being – uh, in town and you know, next year. I do find myself interested in him, but I don't want to get carried away because I feel like I could be kind of – being subject to shiny new toy syndrome because like I talk about, I've, when I looked at Jack's Falcons and anatomy of a tight end, I went and put them all in Excel database. Then I added my own uh, catch radius to it. And then production. That's all I added basically was uh, to what he already had height, weight, draft cap 40. Oh, I added vert- vertical as well. And once I actually charted it and went through and put every tight ends numbers and you know uh, what they did, there are definitely some limiting factors to Harrison Bryant. 47340. I mean, I, I can't get excited about a 47340. That is teetering mm-hmm. on the edge of the threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, the vertical 243, that's in the safe zone. He's good there, but the 30, 32 and a half inch vertical, that's pounds. not thrilling. He <laughs> did produce very well in college, which he has okay. going for him in, in the database. 26.2 dominator. We wanted up above 25. Uh, that's really good. So he's got that going. 19.4 breakout age. He's got that going for him as well. The college yards per reception, 14. He had that going for him as well. Um, rookie production, it's, or I should say NFL production, it's yet to be seen. 5.2 as a rookie points per game. We're kind of hoping for like 10 by year two, at least by year three. So I like Harrison Bryant. But I'm not getting carried away with. I'm not getting carried away with any tight end who is not at least like four six running. The guy who I would prefer over Harrison Bryant would be Albert O. You know, I talked about Noah Fant, and people, a lot of people would think if I'm so in on Noah Fant, I got to be out on Albert O. It, it it's, mm-hmm. couldn't be more untrue mm-hmm. because Albert O. six six two fifty eight four four nine forty. I don't know if I need to hear anything else. Four four nine forty at six six two fifty eight. That is extremely fast at extremely big size. Now the draft capital fourth round. That's a question mark. We got. I wonder why. I got to do a little more research into what caused him to drop. I don't know what happened in college exactly. Um, he didn't participate in the vertical, so I don't know there. But then you look at his college uh, production metrics: thirty one point two percent dominator breakout 19.4 
you don't need the early breakout age, but it's sure it's great to see it. Uh, to put in perspective, in my top 30 dynasty tight ends here, the only ones with dominators above 30%. Um, uh, first off, the top three all have 23.2% or more. The only ones above 30, Waller, Fant, Kyle Pitts, Dallas Goddard, who went to a small school, you expect it. Jonu Smith, that's impressive. Tanyan, small school, you expect it. Brevin Jordan, Albert O, and Gerald Everett. That's it. Those are the only guys. And I still like Ger- Gerald Everett as a flyer, too. I think he's a value. I'd rather him than, than Adam Troutman, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I I love I like me some Al O, man, for sure. Um you know, he's somebody I was actually had to make a decision on roster cuts uh, in a dynasty league, and, and I, I chose to keep him. So um, definitely a fan of Al O, even despite the presence of the aforementioned Noah fan. So, you know what, you talked about the, you know, you've talked about him a lot. You've referenced him a lot. Uh, we don't even know what team he plays for. But talking about Kyle Pitts, you it sounds like you've got him as your tight end five in or your five or six in tier three. Uh, explain to the people what it is about you <laughs> that has you all hot and bothered. Well, to preface my rankings, I have Travis Kelsey in tier one. The I next tier for me is Darren Waller and George out. Kittle. That's tier two. And then my tier three, it only consists of Kyle Pitts and Noah Fant. I, I do believe Kyle Pitts is going to be ahead of Noah Fant. I have yet to really settle on that. It really goes to show how high I am on Noah Fant that I'm even considering putting him above uh, Kyle Pitts with all the hype Kyle Pitts has uh, coming or is coming into the NFL with. But again, you look at this anatomical checklist. I told you there are, there are only going to be uh, – Fant's the only one who currently checks every single box. Kyle Pitts is going to be the second tight end who checks every single box – his dominator in college, 32.3%, 18.9 breakout age. His college yards per reception, we're looking for 14 plus. He was at 17.9. That's that's the highest in my entire database of my top 30 tight ends in college yards per reception, 17.9 for Kyle Pitts. And he's not going to just check every box. He's going to be six foot six with like 100th percentile catch radius potentially a top 10 pick in the draft. We're talking like four, five, five, probably at the worst for the 40 vertical. Who knows? I'm expecting that's going to be great too. I mean, you really have no choice, but to include this guy in your top five dynasty tight ends right off the bat. And if he, if he performs even close to expectations, we could be three, four weeks into the season where people are already talking about this guy is the dynasty tight end one. Even if Travis Kelsey is performing, that's how high the expectations are. He doesn't even have to live up to them. If he plays like halfway decent, you look, he's coming into the NFL at 20 years old. You know, he is going to be looked at as the dynasty tight end one, probably very quickly. And I wouldn't expect it to take too long for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm just even looking at his college numbers, right? You know, you look at his numbers, they're like, oh, that's not that bad for the year. 770 yards, 10 <laughs> touchdowns, 43 catches. It's pretty good. And then you realize, like, 
he played five less games than he did the year before. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, man, Kyle Pitts is absolutely – he's some, he's an absolute beast. I mean, so, you know, he's interesting, right, because we talk about the tight end position. We talk about how in a rookie year you kind of want to avoid that tight end uh, because they're not really really all that productive. Um, but it seems like you're, you're bucking that trend here with Kyle Pitts. It seems like you think – he will be productive in year one, just uh, regardless of the landing spot. In a rookie draft, so how, uh, how soon I, are you looking to a Kyle pitch? I don't want to speak on one quarterback because I, I don't play one quarterback. I'll let's speak on Superflex quarter, though because I play in Superflex, and I will be taking. He will be my first non-quarterback selected. I, I have absolutely no issue taking him as over Najee Harris and Javante. Will I, I like Najee Harris? I like Javante Williams. I, I even really like Jamar Chase, too. I'm not taking a wide receiver, a wide receiver over potentially fundamental corners. The best tight end prospect I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. I am absolute. The only question to me is whether I I, ta- I could take him above Trevor Lawrence Fields and Lance and feel good about it if, if I had quarterbacks on my team. Because I believe he is a sure thing. Another guy whose work, uh, I really like is Drew O, Drew Ossinchuk. He talked about um, just looking at round one hit rates. He's pretty much locked in, like, I think it was 14 out of 15 tight ends drafted in round one the past, uh, since 2003. They All of them, except for, like, one of them have had a top six season. So uh, I have no problem locking this guy in, I think. I just don't see any other generational talent outside of potentially quarterback where it could be Lawrence. And then you talk about fields, the Konami code. I am very intrigued by Trey Lance's Konami code upside. Uh, if you wanted to take Lance over pits, uh, I wouldn't have an issue with that, but I, I really just can't get on board with any case for a running back or wide receiver going, going ahead of Kyle Pitts in a rookie draft. Yeah, I mean, so it's funny because in most leagues, most years in a one quarterback dynasty draft, I've always seen these tight ends usually go. You know, if we get a first round tight end, like I remember Evan Ingram and David Njoku, they were going the back of the first round in their in their respective rookie draft. Uh, you know, it was almost like back to back or on the turn, the one two turn. Um, but Kyle Pitts to me in a in one quarterback format, I mean. I start thinking about him as soon as the 105 or the 106. Uh, just you know, like you talked, like you've talked about, you know, the tight end position and, and the scarcity, and especially in dynasty, we're talking about you can have an advantage at this position for for years potentially. Uh, and so Kyle Pitts, I mean, he's like you said, he he might be the best tight end prospect. I mean, he's the best tight end prospect you've seen. I haven't, I. I I have not dug that much into Kyle Pitts. I would be lying if I said that I have, but the amount of the, the little that I've seen on Kyle Pitts, uh, he just looks like a wide receiver out there. And it's just like, okay, yeah. Like I could see this guy being productive in, in year one. Like I, I could really see that here. Um, so there, yeah, there's just something different about, about Kyle Pitts and, and, and I guess, you know, you're you're definitely on for me too. I just want I want to hit one more thing with that conversation. It's about um, the replaceability. So it's interesting, man. Too, right? really because let's say uh, these guys any... hit. If mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts hits and you passed on him, 
Good luck finding another tight end next year or the year. Maybe Eric Gilbert. I've heard a ton of hype about him. But really, we're not getting these tight end prospects. Like, very rarely, you're not going to get them. If he hits, he's very likely the dynasty tight end one for five-plus years, six-plus years, seven-plus years of being the tight end one in dynasty. If Jamar Chase hits or Najee Harris hits, you're going to find another running back and wide receiver that you love in the first round next year. You're, you're going to be able to find more running backs. You're going to be able to find more wide receivers because that they churn. There's more turnover at the position. And they're just, frankly, way more depth at the wide receiver position. If you pass on Kyle Pitts and miss, you don't. I don't know if you're ever going to get a chance to find that kind of tight end ever again. No, that's that's a valid point there too. I mean, especially when we're talking dynasty league. I know uh, <laughs> uh, we could go um, on all night. All I, right, I wouldn't David, stop talking would, if you let me. <laughs> I want to ask you more questions, but I think we're gonna leave it here, man. We're gonna we no, I I I definitely believe you, man. So before we wrap up, before we let every before we 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 close it here tonight, man. Why don't you let everybody know what you're working on? I know that you've got the blog, the, the Guru Fantasy World blog. I know you're also working on this encyclopedia. So why don't you? Yeah, tell I really post you, most of my you know, work you got Twitter, going so on, if you where want to follow me there, you, my uh, username is at or whatever they call it handle on Twitter. I'm still relative. I've only been on Twitter for like a, a year since last March, so not, not even a year. I think I created my account in 2009, but I never really used it. So. Um, I've been on Twitter for about a year. All uh, the links to like my website is there. Right now, it's really just a <laughs> dinky blog. I started writing three years ago just because I enjoyed it. It was fun. And I wanted to just write about something I enjoyed about. Over the past couple of years, I've kind of uh, gotten like full steam ahead on it and really uh, put most of my effort and passion and free time into it. And uh, the goal that I've developed, which you mentioned, it's uh, creating a free encyclopedia and dictionary of basically every acronym, fancy football term and strategy that there is. And I'm working on compiling that into uh, basically a freely accessible dictionary. And hopefully I can get uh, that into website form. I'm hoping uh, by the start of this 2021 season and have that up and ready if not hopefully uh, it'll be ready to go by next year oh it's uh yeah man yeah, well, that at guru like fantasy stuff. world no uh, wait, o you, in world just w r l d google there, fantasy so if you want to <laughs> So there you go. Follow follow David at Guru Fantasy World. No O in the word world. Um, but David, again, man, I really do appreciate you coming on. This was awesome. I know you absolutely. You I'm looking to forward to the next one here on this on the tight end position, man. So this was great, man. And we're, we're definitely gonna have to do it again. Thank you, man. You as well. All right, David. Well, everybody, appreciate you guys for listening. And uh, David, thank you for coming on. And have a good one.